Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Last Life Podcast. This is my weekly gaming podcast where we use this one life to explore amazing worlds and discuss all things video games related. Tune in every week for new episodes and to support the show, please subscribe, comment and rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You can email me any questions at amandamangames at gmail.com. That's amandamangames at gmail.com. All the various social media links, including the email, will also be in the description. Wow, there's been a lot of stuff happening in the gaming world. Not necessarily gaming related, I guess. I mean, sort of gaming related. But, I mean, this comes down to actually a lot of the predictions that we had made earlier on. And, of course, a lot of the rumors that have been coming out. And this is just kind of you know, fueling those rumors now more than ever. But a big one that happened recently was that Square Enix, the makers of the renowned Final Fantasy series, and of course Final Fantasy XIV, which is, I think, becoming like the biggest Final Fantasy of all time, in all honesty. I'm, not, I'm sure that there'll be a lot of Final Fantasy fans that will not agree to that, and you know, may, many prefer Final Fantasy VII and, and stuff like that. Um, I, still have, I still need to finish the remake, the part one of the remake, or whatever you want to call it. I dropped off of it, so I will need to find a way to get back in. But recently, Square Enix, for whatever reason, decided that they're going to sell off Crystal Dynamics. So they are the makers of the rebooted Tomb Raider series. I'm, I'm sure they must have done a bunch of awesome games beforehand, but they're obviously known for Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and then more recently, Marvel's Avengers. We'll get back to that in a, in a second. They sold off Idos, so that includes Idos Montreal that just released Guardians of the Galaxy, which was one of my favorite games of last year, and also Square Enix Montreal. I'm not 100% sure if they have worked on specific games. I want to say that Idos is responsible for Deus Ex as well, and then Square Enix Montreal has just kind of provided a lot of support for a lot of these games, but these are the three studios that have been given off to I mean they're not given off they were sold for like 300 million dollars to the Embracer group who are now you know who are kind of known to just be gobbling up a bunch of studios and publishers and also have recently acquired or had recently acquired the Borderlands series by acquiring Gearbox so they have you know a number of series under them they they they, they release good games I'm not going to say that they have you know they're, they're releasing like double A games but they're definitely you know they have triple A games but they kind of prioritized a lot of AA games initially in terms of the games that they were acquiring. But that's besides the point because Square Enix has sold these three studios along with some, you know, great, amazing IP to Embracer Group for $300 million, which is a lot. But for games like Deus Ex, like Tomb Raider, Legacy of Cain and Thief, I'm not 100%, I'm not like that, you know, aware of them. I know that those are games that people really enjoyed. But those two games itself, you know, Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, let's even put Deus Ex aside. Tomb Raider, the fact that Tomb Raider was not worth a lot. And obviously, if you look at, I think the games did sell quite a bit. But the, you know, the, the whole idea of Tomb Raider is what it can do outside of the gaming space, right? I know the films didn't, especially the newer ones, or the new one actually, I think it's just one, didn't do 
extremely well. It was it was okay, but you know, like Tomb Raider has that appeal outside of gaming that anyone can kind of capitalize on if done well. So the fact that Tomb Raider as a whole and that that entire IP plus Deus Ex plus these studios, all of that was worth three hundred million, is a little shocking. It be, it it brings up the question of of what happened. What happened with the Square Enix? I know that you know they had they kind of went through a similar thing with IO Interactive and Hitman. They gave IO Interactive their their independence and said that yep, here you go, you can own Hitman and look at Hitman Three. You know it was one of the best games last year, it's doing amazing. They even got the James Bond IP because of how well Hitman Three did. And now with these studios, they're just being given off along with their IP to you know another group as a whole and. I'm I'm trying to understand if this is a way for them to kind of cover their losses, and this is what they were. They this is just what they could get in this moment. Um, obviously, another story came out that Square Enix lost two hundred million dollars on the Marvel games, Marvel Avengers, and Guardians of the Galaxy. So, but let's take this back for a second, right? Marvel's Avengers was something that a lot of people were hotly anticipating. People were excited. I was excited until they showed us what the game was actually going to be. Then it kind of came out that, oh, this is more of Avengers, but Destiny. And I love Destiny, right? So it was not something that I was completely opposed to, as long as they did it well and the focus was on the gameplay and the story. That did not happen either. The story, the campaign and stuff was good. It was fun, but it wasn't something that, you know, was just going to blow everyone away because at the end of the day, the story, you could tell the story was a secondary focus. The main focus for for this game was how do, how do we get people to be playing this game again and again? How do we get them to buy cosmetics and also invest in our battle pass and all that? It just became more of how do we make this into a live service game? That was kind of what they were told. This is Avengers, make this into a live service game and then focus on making it a good game. That's kind of I think the approach that was that was presented to them. Obviously, I'm not gonna say that you know, like they. You can tell there was a lot of work that was put into that game, but from the reviews and from everyone's feeling about that game, you know, we we all know that that game was just not what we wanted it to be. If the gameplay loop itself was good enough, kind of like Destiny, you would see more and more people playing that game. But the, unfortunately, the gameplay loop was just not that fun, um, and a lot of the promises that they had made about you know free DLC, all that stuff. That uh, hasn't exactly, you know, uh, lit the world on fire or anything like that with people just coming back in droves to play Marvel's Avengers. Now, that game honestly had such a terrible impact on Guardians of the Galaxy, in my opinion. When you look at Marvel's, Marvel's Avengers, you see that game with that Marvel's tagline, you would think that it would do amazing, but then you're reminded that, oh, this was a live service game. Oh, you, you, you can only be, you know, you're supposed to be like one Avenger at a time and then either you give it to the CPU or someone joins in. It's going to be more fun if someone else joins in. When you fight enemies and everything like that, it gives you a very MMO-ish feeling. It doesn't give you that awesome combat feeling that you would want. At the same time, there's no proper RPG aspect that, you know, would, you, you're, you're thrown into a sandbox, right? You're thrown into this big area, big zone, and then you're just told to like do different things in that zone. And then you reach a part of that zone where you have a boss fight, right? It, it literally has that MMO feel to it. Guardians of the Galaxy, again, a group of individuals coming together, all that stuff. 
had the same vibe, right? You're like, oh no, Square Enix is making this. Of course, they did, they did this with Avengers. Now they're like, you know what? Let's try this with Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe this will be successful. Except that wasn't what the game was. The game, in fact, had an amazing story. It was more of an RPG. If you've played Deus Ex and stuff like that, it was more like that, obviously, third-person shooting game, and you can switch characters and all that stuff. Like, I think you can switch characters because I feel like I only used um, Star-Lord. Actually, I'm not sure. I don't think you can switch characters. I, I might be wrong about that. But but that, again, the idea is that it is a more, you know, third-person action RPG focused on giving you an amazing story, an awesome story, and amazing characters. And instead of that being celebrated, unfortunately, because of the sour taste that the Avengers game had left in everyone's mouth, not, not many people knew about it or not many people were excited for it. Not many people wanted to go out and buy it immediately. And who can blame them, right? When you have a, a previous game that did so horribly and, and was, you know, was not what you had expected, of course, you will be a little skeptical. I know the game's out on Game Pass and stuff like that. It's been on discounts and all that stuff too. And I do hope people are checking it out. But that kind of is one of the reasons why they obviously did not make all that money back from, from these Marvel games. I'm glad that Eidos Montreal is maybe going to an, a company like Embracer Group because I feel like Embracer Group knows that certain studios have you know, a, a certain love for a certain IP and can possibly give them that freedom to just kind of do what they want with it without forcing anyone to do something that they don't want to. I mean, case in point, the, the Metro games, right? Metro Exodus, I believe it came out when they were acquired by the Embracer group or the, the overall whatever. The Metro's developers, they're owned by some company, not which is then owned by Embracer group, something like that, right? But basically Metro, Metro Exodus came out and it, it, it was awesome. It was a really, really, really great game. I mean, similarly, even Tiny Tina that just came out, again, that's kind of under Embracer group. Obviously, I don't know how much of a hand they had in it before the, 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 the Gearbox being acquired, but still, like there are some like good games coming out from these developers that were known for specific games and IPs. So I feel like something like some, a, 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 a team like Eidos Montreal being under them, given Deus Ex and being told that, hey, do what you want and, you know, we're here to back you, which I, again, I hope this is the case. Like I, have, I haven't talked talk to anyone there, so I don't know if this is, this is the case uh, in itself, but based on, you know, the games that come out from those studios, I feel like it would be a better place to be rather than being with Square Enix, because let's be honest, Square Enix is just in this mode of trying to find games that can be more like Final Fantasy XIV. They just want more and more live service games. It's been like a weird push that we saw, obviously with Final Fantasy XIV, which again is great, but we saw them try this with Hitman with the idea of doing the whole episodic thing. You know, you can see where, where the wheels were turning. The idea was to just have like this Hitman sandbox and a new episode with a new location, which again, I love. It was really great. I love Hitman. You all know how much I love Hitman, but that was obviously the start of it. And of course we saw that, you know, go into the deep end with, with Marvel's Avengers. And I'm sure even now they are looking at possibilities of what they can do with Kingdom Hearts or or even uh, Final Fantasy, you know, past 14. Because I, I do I do think they have released like an iPhone Final Fantasy game that's kind of like a Battle Royale or something. But they're obviously trying to get into that, that you know, games as a service kind of industry and all. I, I think this kind of, you know, leads me to kind of think about what is happening with Square Enix themselves. Because 
it is very, very possible, you know, this is a prediction that I made that what if they are selling this off to obviously recoup some money for whatever reason, but also to maybe raise up their price in whatever way possible so that when they get acquired, they get a good price. I know that Sony and, and all the stuff, like all these companies are, are, you know, up there. And I won't be surprised considering what all these rumors we keep hearing about Ubisoft, for example, getting acquired. I, Square Enix is not that far off, right? Ubisoft has some good hit games, but they are not able to replicate it or are not able to rely on a specific game to bring them the kind of revenue they want or they need to operate that, you know, those all those studios. Similar, same thing with Square Enix, right? Final Fantasy, all these games come out. When even the Final Fantasy VII Remake, when you look at the sales, it's like half of what Luigi's Mansion sold on Nintendo Switch, for example, right? And I love Luigi's Mansion 3, right? But that's kind of that's kind of the, the benchmark or the threshold in a sense. These games are coming out, they're, they're putting so much money into it and so much marketing dollars into it, but then they're, they're selling like, okay, they're selling a good amount, they're selling millions, but not like tens and 20 of millions. So maybe for Square Enix, it's just that time of, okay, look, we've done, we've done whatever we could. We've tried multiple things that didn't work out. Maybe we just, we just need to cut our losses and run. Maybe we just got to get sold off to someone and, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of go to some island and, and enjoy the rest of our lives. And it's very possible. And maybe this changing of ownership is actually better for this, for these IPs and these studios. And I can see a, a very strong push towards Sony because Sony and Square Enix have always had just this relationship, right? Like we saw with Final Fantasy VII Remake being exclusive on, on Sony's platforms and even Final Fantasy sixteen, you know, being exclusive on, on Sony's platforms as well. So I can easily see Sony already making that play and already having those discussions and with Xbox owning Bethesda and essentially owning in a, in a way Western first person RPGs or just Western RPGs. If you want to say that, obviously we have games like, you know, CD Projekt Red and all that, which, which are still multi-platform, but still, right. They, they've taken in Bethesda. I can see Sony saying, all right, then we have Japanese RPGs. Like we have the best JRPGs out there, obviously. I mean, if they buy Sega, then they literally have everything. But, you know, at this, if they acquire Square Enix, they will have one of the biggest properties, Final Fantasy and also Dragon Quest, which will be obviously huge for them. So honestly, I don't know what will happen, but this is something, this is exciting and interesting, but also a worrying trend as to what is happening to all these studios and all these publishers that we grew up with. Uh, you know, all these publishers that we looked up to and, and, and had their games come out and we would be exciting, excited when a new game would come out from them. Now it's just a matter of which publisher will get bought by who and who knows what will happen to their IPs. So I know it's a, it's a sad way to kind of end this, but this is just the state of the industry, unfortunately. We should move on to some good news, in my opinion, which is Mafia 4. Uh, is being developed at Hangar 13 as in its early stages of development. This was a story that was uh, brought forward by, by Kotaku. So I, I, it's a very short story. So I just want to kind of quickly bring up, you know, the fact that I love Mafia and I loved Mafia 3. I really enjoyed it. I really liked the story as well. I know the gameplay and all was repetitive for Mafia 3, but I, I still loved it. Um, Mafia 1, the remake was awesome. It was so fun. I remember streaming that as well. I, I haven't played Mafia 2, but because of me having played Mafia 1 and 3, I feel like I should go back and play Mafia 2. So Mafia 4 being made, awesome. I'm surprised it took them this long. Uh, and the fact that it's an early development is kind of frustrating for me because I thought it was already in development for many, many years. 
but it seems that I, I guess it was in like its ideation phase and something or whatever was happening, but at least it started, at least it's on its way at some point in the future. So, you know, that should be exciting, but anyone, if anyone's a big mafia fan, please let me know, because I love to talk to mafia fans. Uh, I feel like there's not enough of us sometimes. And this was one of the games that was like on, on, on par for me with Grand Theft Auto and even Saints Row 2 when those games had come out. I just really, really like Mafia. So next one is, is it's kind of big because it has to do with one of my favorite games of all time. And that is Bloodborne. Um, at a recent event for Sacred, Sacred Symbols podcast, which is a podcast uh, by Colin Moriarty. Uh, who was with Podcast Beyond at IGN and also with Kind of Funny. And he's a person that is really, really in tune and is just knows everything that's kind of happening on the PlayStation Sony side of things. Not everything, but has a lot of friends on that side of the industry. And he just kind of brought up during a, an episode or, or that event for Sacred Symbols that Bloodborne Remastered or something related to Bloodborne is, is happening, right? So does this mean it's the remastered of the, of the first game, which would be awesome or does it mean that they're just going to make a sequel or the sequels on its way at some point both of those cases are awesome i i could see a possibility that bloodborne 2 gets announced and you know bloodborne 2 they'll be like it's coming out you know in a year or two or whatever the case may be and then they're like okay by the way bloodborne remastered is out this you know winter or this fall or whatever to just kind of you know get you excited for that game and i think that would be amazing that will be so good because bloodborne itself is really, really fun i don't see any need for the game to have any you know textures to be brought up or anything like that as long as it's you know running at 4k or whatever 1440p upscaled or 1080p upscaled whatever the thing is as long as it's doing that and it's 60 fps i am set that's literally all i would want from bloodborne I'm pretty sure that will, especially with the success of Elden Ring, that will sell like crazy. Everyone knows who From Software is at this point. Even people who were not big From Software fans, even people that weren't big gamers to begin with, know who From Software is because of Elden Ring. Sony has to be out of their minds if they do not think they are able to capitalize on this by releasing a remastered version of Bloodborne. You know, put it on there from the makers of Elden Ring, whatever you need to do, put that out there because there's so many people that played Elden Ring and now want to play Sekiro. They want to play Demon Souls. They want to play Dark Souls. They want to play Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3. Like this would be, and to have a game like that, but you can actually say, oh yeah, by the way, Bloodborne is only available on PlayStation, right? Same as Demon Souls. I, I feel like they should be doing the same thing with Demon Souls, although because Demon Souls is a remake, they obviously, it, it does kind of go to blue point in that sense. But with this one, if it's just a remaster and they can still put the From Software title on that, that would be big. On top of that, plus Bloodborne 2, finally. Like, it's been too long. I can't believe that a game that sold so well and the game that, that's so high in demand does not have a sequel yet. And it, it could be because, you know, From Software, like maybe Sony was also very respectful and, and we, we need to respect that as well. Maybe Sony went to From Software and said that, hey, Bloodborne did amazing. People love it. People want Bloodborne too. And, and From Software was like, like, okay, maybe we can get to that. But right now we want to work on Sekiro. Okay, now we actually want to work on Elden Ring, which is kind of different. Like maybe From Software is, is just kind of going through that phase of, hey, we just want to make different IPs of sorts. We just want to try different ideas. 
you know? So we'll get to Bloodborne, but not right now. And then that probably made Sony say, all right, fine. Like, you know what? Fine, we'll, we'll wait, we'll wait for it. And maybe they came to an agreement and Bloodborne 2 is coming from, from software. Or maybe Sony just said, okay, look, we waited for seven, eight years, whatever the case is now. You know, we waited for so long. We have to move on. Well, you know, we have Bluepoint games that have done such a great job with Demon Souls. They understand the game mechanics. They understand like the code and everything and how the games kind of work. We're going to let them work on a Bloodborne too. Maybe we'll get people from Sony Japan that I, I, I think Sony Japan also provided support with Bloodborne. Maybe they're like, all right, Sony Japan Studio. I, th I actually don't think Japan Studio is there anymore. I think it's all turned into the team that made Astrobot. But what are the, what are the case may be, right? Maybe they can just get people that have worked on Bloodborne on board with this and say, okay, you know, here you go, make Bloodborne too, based on what you know and everything like that. Let's go ahead, right? And I, I honestly, that's not bad. I would definitely want from software to give their blessing or to have some input and all maybe also just be the people that make the game. But if they're not able to, I'm still kind of excited. I'm still kind of excited to see what Bloodborne 2 can be because that world, I just feel is not fully explored. And I, I just want to just go to every nook and cranny, kind of like Elden Ring, right? Imagine a Bloodborne game, but like Elden Ring. That would be amazing. And I really do hope that this is, you know, this does not mean that they're, they're going to take a long time for a Sekiro sequel or if they're just going to leave Sekiro in the dust, kind of like they did. Like, again, like I, it's, it's hard for me to not see their point of view, right? Because Elden Ring did so well that for them, it's like, why would we go back to Sekiro? Why would we go back to Bloodborne or Dark Souls, right? We have created this game, this, this sort of sandbox that we can continue working on for a very, very long time. And maybe the next game will be Elden Ring 2, kind of like Elder Scrolls, right? Like it'll become the next Elder Scrolls in a sense where... You just know what Skyrim is and everyone's waiting for the next Elder Scrolls. You know, no one is saying, all right, hey, uh, Starfield, I, I'm not going to, okay, actually people are excited for Starfield, but if you put Elder Scrolls next to Starfield, nine out of 10 people will be more excited for Elder Scrolls, right? I think that's going to be the same thing now with this. They can say, hey, we're going to make a Sekiro 2, but people will be like, all right, Sekiro 2 is fine, but what about Elder Ring 2? And they're like, yep, Elder Ring 2 is coming out too, and people will be more hyped for that instead. So I, I, I can see the kind of point of this point of view, but I'm, I'm really hoping that they do kind of go back to the well and, and maybe have separate teams that work on separate games and they can have like that main team that kind of works on new ideas like Elden Ring, stuff like that, but they can have a separate team that's like, Hey, let's make a Sekiro 2. Let's make an Elden Ring 2. Let's make a, let's make a Bloodborne 2, whatever the case, let's make a Dark Souls 4. Like, I don't mind that. I would love, I would love a Dark Souls 4. So lots of possibilities, but Kind of exciting like who knows right this year so much is happening I'm, I'm just loving all the gaming news from this year so we'll move on to the games that i have been playing i've mainly been playing a lot of elden ring um, i've gotten to the part where i'm going to fight the first boss in the legacy dungeon so not margin which was kind of the first big boss ish um but like yeah like the first kind of official boss the big one that you gotta kill to be able to get a shard I think you need to get two or three shards to be able to complete the game in a sense. That's kind of the whole idea. So I'm, obviously I'm kind of like a little worried. So I'm, I'm like going around leveling up. I'm going to like a couple of caves that I had passed over when I was doing like random stuff around. So I'm just kind of doing that. It's just really enjoying the game. Really, really fun. You know, that was one of the main reasons I actually moved my PS5 back to the living room uh, away from my streaming setup. Because I had it in the streaming setup so I can 
uh, 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 connected to my, my, my racing wheel and all that stuff and play Gran Turismo 7. But I was just kind of getting back into Elden Ring that I was like, no, okay, no, I need, I need my full TV. I need my OLED TV with the Sonos surround sound, all that stuff, because I am getting fully invested in this game and I am, I'm just really, really loving it. I'm so excited to see where this takes me. And honestly, I'm really enjoying just playing the game for like 30 minutes to an hour at a time, maybe a couple of times a week. I'm, this is like my long-term game. You know, I'm going to take my, my sweet time with this game. And I'm, I'm, I'm just really, really enjoying it because I'm exploring this game and valuing my time, this game, like I've never done before with any game. And it's kind of just given me a different kind of appreciation for these video games. And I feel like I, I focus more on the details and the work that I've put into these games versus just, Hey, let's just go from zero to hundred so I can get this game out of the way. The other game I've been playing a lot of is iRacing. So iRacing is basically, I kind of mentioned before, uh, basically like a MMO version for sim racing, um, has realistic sim racing models for, for, for vehicles and everything like that. And the idea is you're able to go online and race against real people. Uh, your actual name is visible so that, you know, you're not messing around. You're not, you know, bumping into people, you know, causing issues and stuff like that. And it has a proper racing structure where you practice around a track using a specific car, you qualify on that track, and then you're placed in positions based off on your, on your qualification times. And then of course you race. So I've, I've been streaming that I've been racing a bunch online. Um, I've been around like the middle area around like seven or eight, uh, around that range. Uh, so haven't really been doing too well. But at the same time, just even when I'm doing bad, I, I'm still like enjoying it, you know, because it's such a physical activity or like driving, you feel like you're driving in there, especially if you have, if you have a good sim racing setup. And I would just really enjoy just kind of, you know, uh, learning all the tracks, learning all the gears, learning, you know, how to tackle a corner, learning where to, where to break, where not to break. It, it just kind of, it's surprisingly enjoyable. And then obviously when you add the stakes of playing against people online, it adds like another element to it where when you're, when you're going past certain point and you look in, the, in your rear view mirrors and you see someone behind you and you start panicking and you're like, all right, how do I, you know, how do I keep, keep this pace? How do I go past them? Because uh, one thing actually I should also bring up, like it's, it's not really in the game. It's, they don't really do anything, but the idea is that when you're racing and if someone's behind you, you're not supposed to like block them, right? You can defend in the sense that you choose a line that you feel is the quickest to get you to the finish line, right? That's like the idea. You choose that line, but then you stay there and then it's up to the, the person behind you to obviously speed up and go past you, right? So again, these are all things that I'm learning as I'm playing and I have like more and more respect for the just racing in general, but also sim racing as, as an eSport. So, you know, when someone is in the rearview mirror, it's like, okay, I gotta choose this line I'm sitting on the side, but then you slowly see them creep up next to you and you're like, oh my God, we're getting close. And you have to be mindful when they're close. You don't want to go on the, on, the, on the right or the left to like bump into them. So you got to keep your line, stay on the side. So you're just kind of battling it out with speed and hoping for the best. And it's just, it's just a, such a wonderful game. I'm, I'm trying to convince all my friends to jump on this, even if they have a controller and just try it out. Just try this out online. Um, you know, even if you're, if, if you have a passing interest in racing games, it is worth a try. It is worth to just jump in and see what this world holds. And who knows, maybe you might turn into me and invest in a whole racing wheel and all that stuff and just fall in love with the sport because I'm just, yeah, iRacing I is just one of those games that 
the same way how you see people kind of jump on to Warzone or Apex or Fortnite, you know, that online game that they kind of always go back to. For me, iRacing is that game. It's that game that I'm like, yep, I'm going to go online, maybe do a race against people, or maybe there's a race coming up that has a specific track and a specific car that needs to be used. So I'll be like, all right, let me go practice. Let me go practice. Let me prepare. And I love that because, you know, when you play games like Warzone or Fortnite, you can prepare in a sense, you know, there's not, they, they don't really have like those kind of training modes, but the idea is that the, the best thing you can kind of do is just, all right, let's just go play Warzone. Let's go play Fortnite. And then you either learn or you don't learn, but the idea is you just kind of keep playing it here. You know, you actually prepare for a track. You're like, if I prepare on this track with this car, with the setup and everything like that, I'll know the track inside out. I'll know where to stop. I'll know what to do. I know what my times are on this track. So when you're actually racing against people, you already are familiar with that track. You know what to do. And you kind of do the same thing and you're like just kind of battling it out with other people and you just feel more confident as well. And it's weird because like when I do play online, I feel like it's like this weird performance anxiety comes where I feel like because I really enjoy acting and I used to always like join a lot of, of theaters, theater plays and stuff like that in, in high school, you know, before going onto the stage, I would just get butterflies in my stomach. I would just get super anxious, you know, sometimes even nauseous, just extremely worried. And I feel the same way sometimes with, with racing when I'm like about to start a race with people and everything like that. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, am I going to mess up? I'm going to bump into people. I'm just like getting all panicked, but obviously won't start racing. It's just such a wonderful experience. So anyone that is even like interested in iRacing, like please message me. You know, we should, I'm, I'm definitely down to do a Last Life Gaming Championship. You know, I can choose like a bunch of, of different uh, tracks and stuff that we can all do. And it will be such a fun time. So I'm more than happy to have more and more people to play this game with and be able to share my love for sim racing and racing as a whole with, with everyone. So thank you so much, everyone. We will leave it there. Uh, I hope to catch everyone next time. Please email me at amandamangames at gmail.com. That's amandamangames at gmail.com. Join me on Twitch as well. I stream three times a week at twitch.tv slash amandaman. I try to stream. I will be trying to stream uh, sim racing on Tuesdays. And then Mondays and Thursdays will be another game. Maybe it's Warzone, maybe something else. Maybe it's Hitman, who knows? But follow me on uh, on Instagram to kind of be up to date in terms of what's happening. And of course, follow me on Twitch to get that notification so you know when I'm going live. Thank you so much, everyone. And I'll see you next time. Bye.